call yourself a maker? You smell like failure and corn chips. Drop and give me 45 minutes. This is not your grandparents' tinker toys. It's the Creators Collective. Listen up and don't give me that face. Right, Herbert Holtz and Walker are about to demonstrate the proper way to create. And if you got questions, you had better be in the live chat. Otherwise, I am going to plant my boots so far up your hiney that your mother is going to be crying. Now listen up, jelly pasty cow pies. And we're back for another exciting episode of the Creators Collective. And I want to uh, say a huge thank you to everyone listening live on YouTube. If you want to join us, we record each Thursday morning at 9 Central, 10 Eastern. And we would love to have you over there. Uh, we can look it up on the YouTube channel. Uh, creators collective and uh, join us there. We have all of our questions coming from the group. I'm really looking forward to seeing you there. Uh, this week, uh, we want to say a huge thank you to our uh, patrons on Patreon. Um, no new patrons this week, but uh, we do want to say a huge thank you to our top patrons, Darren Mates, uh, Caleb Harris from You Can Make This Too, and John from John Made It. Thank you. You guys are what are making us uh, keep going. So <laughs> um, we will having some other uh, fun things coming up and. Uh, uh, I think we're going to be doing shirts here soon as soon as we get the, yes. the logo in. So uh, looking forward to that. Also, you can find us on Google Play, SoundCloud, and uh, iTunes, um, as well as there's a couple other places that feed off of those. So wherever you uh, want to listen to us. But uh, this week, we have a special happiness. We have a special guest, and I'm going to turn it over to, uh, to Zach to introduce him. Yes, and I'm terrible in introductions, but my buddy, uh, Jeff Fader from Fader Knives, who has, I think, one of the most interesting backgrounds of, uh, I don't want to say anybody, but he has a, certainly has a very very interesting background. He's, he's done a lot of stuff. Uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to have him on the show. Uh, so welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you for having me on. What a yeah, pleasure. Absolutely. And obviously, as normal, uh, William Walker. Hey, guys. <laughs> yes, I'm here. <laughs> as normal yes. as normal yeah yes. <laughs> uh yeah so jeff why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what you do well it's funny that you start ask. at the very beginning i'll start at the beginning you want to start Born at the beginning very early. Yeah. It has a great well, history i'll do it i'm gonna do a this is gonna be quick when i was a kid <laughs> my father wouldn't let me have any toys that i wanted none and it was i wanted to have like my friends had toy guns and they had swords and stuff. And then my father wouldn't let me have them. And it got really bad, you know, finding sticks that looked like guns. It sucked. So my father still was, he said, listen, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll take you into my wood shop and I'll teach you how to use these tools so you can make what you want. So it got to the point where I was using bandsaws and drill presses and chisels and rasps. And I was able to kind of make this stuff that I wanted. So in the beginning, it was great because I was making little toys and I was making guns and swords and stuff. But then I got far more interested in the actually the, cre the creative process and how you get to an idea and executing that idea into a design and making something that you want. So it, it started to be much more about the, the, what I wanted, the final destination. But then it became about the journey. So then I went into, uh, you know, I was a painter and then um, when I was in high school and then I got into college and I was so stupid. I thought I was taking a 3D design class thinking that it was about how to paint or draw three-dimensionally like a fucking moron. And it turned out to be a sculpture class. So I was taking these sculpture classes and I was like, all right, well, you know, I had all that background making stuff with the bandsaw and a friend of mine um, actually said, hey, you know, don't wait for glue to dry. Come over here and I'm going to teach you how to weld. And then I would, I've been a welder ever since, uh, uh, doing mostly, uh, started out as an art major doing uh, metalwork, sculpture, and then 
I, when I got out of college, I was working, I was a fabricator for a lot of sculptors in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And then I had a little side detour in the restaurant business. And then I ended up being a blacksmith at uh, the Fine Architectural Metalsmiths, which was used to be part of Center for Metal Arts. And then I was a blacksmith there. And then I left and worked for a couple other metal shops. And then I started my knife business. Yeah, I think there it's super go. interesting that, uh, and, and we were kind of talking about this right before we started the podcast, but I was listening to the Blacksmith's Pub a couple months ago, and I think they had you on as a guest. And I'm now an executive producer, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't made it that far. I think I'm like 20 episodes in. And this um, is breaking news. I became an executive producer of that podcast as of last week. Uh, as of last week. Nice. But uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting that because um, I've done a few, I've done some sculptural stuff, but they were talking and, and uh, I, I, like I said, we talked about this right before we recorded, but the minute that, that you're talking about your first sculpture and that you named it a street cow named desire, I'm like, I need to be friends with this guy immediately, just yeah. solely based off the name. And the piece is amazing too, but well, uh, thank you. Yeah. That, but uh, uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say that that sculpture was, we had this art class and we had to make a critter. We had to make giant uh, cows. And I was in the scrapyard. They had black and white street signs. And I said, ah, black and white street signs. There's my cow, street cow named Desire. And then my art teacher was like, you got to do that. So that sculpture became, <laughs> but then I, I had a problem because the scrapyard, because there were old street signs, this, the, the city wouldn't let us take them. So we had to go through, I lost, it was a three week process three week uh, deadline and the first two weeks was getting permission from the government. And then I had to like slam it. I had to like blast it off when it was all done. The best part was, was the first sculpture ever sold. And I had the biggest party at my college with four bands and a keg. And I was a, a sophomore in college, nice. high level. Nice. Uh, what, uh, so how did you, cause I saw that. How did you like make the contours on that? I, I did you use a, like an English wheel and that sort of stuff or I was, I was a, I was a freshman in college. We were just, I was, I had a week to go and I just made a steel frame with, uh, you know, you're talking 1993, 1992. So I was, I made a steel frame out of uh, half inch round. I just kind of cold rolled it you know, shaped it. And then I would take the uh, street signs and then I would, I wanted to make sure I didn't lose the white and the black. So I was, I was hand roll. I mean, they're, they were pretty thin sheet metal. Oh, yeah. So I was kind of, and then I was <clears throat> tacking them on so it wouldn't lose too much paint. Huh. Slapped yeah. Together. That was super cool. But yeah, the, just the background, the fact that you have, I think it's kind of interesting that you've done, you know, sculpture. You were a chef for a while, right? Not cook, but it's fine. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, it sounds better, but I mean, you know, you didn't like, go to culinary school. You didn't go. To I did go to culinary school, but I, you know, it's like if you haven't, if you haven't, you know, it takes a while to go from cook to chef. I mean, but I, I appreciate it. Well, I mean, I'm not mad at it. I'm just did, saying, you know, my slightly. Uh, did you have like an article with Epicurious or something like that? Yeah, I just did a uh, a video, a video with uh, Epicurious. Uh, it was a price points telling explaining the difference between uh, expensive knives and inexpensive knives, and we were trying to explain why certain knives are more expensive than the others. So I, they said video, expert. Uh, so I thought that video was uh, pretty interesting because I feel like through the, at least the first half of it, you were kind of leaning on the cheaper knives being more like what a, what a cook or a chef would reach for. Well, if uh, you really want to know, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I, when they approached me uh, and I was psyched to do it, a friend of mine, actually, I was going to do the one that Will Griffin was in. But then they wanted me to do this price points one. And I said to them the first meeting, I said, I refuse to, to, uh, to be, I don't want to dog any companies. I don't want to dog any makers. And I also don't want to tell 
people that they have to spend a shit ton of money for a knife. So I really want to give people because you know there's people can't sometimes people can't spend three hundred dollars on a knife. So I really wanted to be very like I thought it was important to be you know explain what why it's, a knife is good and you don't have to like blow a you know a couple grand on a knife to have a knife that'll work for you. So I was trying to be I was trying to thread the needle. It got a little bit intense. <laughs> well, I just thought it was interesting in the in the video uh, for Epicurious. You know, you're like, okay, well, this is a, a three hundred dollar more sculptural knife that will yeah. never see use. You know, it was just going to hang in someone's nice kitchen. But then this plastic molded handle knife, you know, that's what the 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 butcher is going to be reaching for. Well, you want some inside baseball on that part? That uh, I, we had to off road that part because I I'll tell you the real quick is <clears throat> I kind of like I kind of I, writing the episode wasn't really true, but I really wanted to kind of like corral the whole thing in regards to giving myself a little bit more control. So that part was actually supposed to be a Ginsu knife. And what we we're going for on, a, on the outline was sharpening knives versus knives that are uh, not meant to be sharpened. So a long time ago, somebody figured out Americans don't like to sharpen knives. So they figured out this laser, these laser ser serrations that are unsharpenable, right? You used to get them at places and that's what, uh, Ginsu did. They they figured out all oh, these motherfuckers. They don't want to sharpen anything. So let's make them a knife that they don't have to sharpen, right? So then they're they're making these weird micro serrations, and the next thing you know, they're cutting through shoes and shit. So I said, well, that's a good one to put in because then we can talk about um, we can talk about uh, you know different ways to sharpen knives. So when that when we got to the day, we didn't have a whole lot of time, and I'd gotten that knife from Mareko Momasi, that three thousand dollar one. That guy, that that guy came through heavy. And they couldn't, I, I told them this is the kind of, I want the Ginsu knife. And they couldn't get the Ginsu knife. And I said, you're telling me that I can get a $3,000 Damascus bread knife and you can't cough up a Ginsu knife from Walmart? So we had ended up off-roading the whole thing. And, and uh, we went with that, that little thinner Victorinox. And I actually had the CEO of uh, JB Prince, which is this amazing um, culinary company. And he was there, uh, Tim Music, He's an awesome guy. I've known him for a long time. He's like been selling knives for 20 years. And um, he actually helped me off-road that because we had to do an audible. It was like, it got to the point where we, we had to change knives and then we had to like, get a frantic. One of, my, one of my friends, I used to run a bar up in North Idaho and one of my friends, who was our, he was our food distributor at the time. And uh, he was a chef. And I remember I was, I wanted a set of knives and he's like, Dude, just get the set of Victorinoxes. They're like what everybody uses. <laughs> like, I, okay. Yeah, it, it's and funny. I still have them, and they're you know I've had them for ten years. It, it's funny, you know. I, I I think that knives are really funny because now you know I'm a knife maker and and I make knives and I, I try to make my knives. I want to make the best knife possible and give the most amount of value. So I, I in regards to custom knives in general, my prices are right average to a little bit lower than average. And that's kind of where I want to be because it gets to the point where, you know, it's, it, I want to make, you know, I'm fooling around with Damascus, I'm fooling around with these integral knives, I'm fooling around with all these different things, but I kind of want to be able to make knives for people that I know and who, you know, if, if I can't afford my knives, which I kind of can't, I, I, I want to be able to kind of provide some value for people. And also, give people a step into this concept of custom knives and the custom knife world. And, you know, it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky spot. So I've got a segue question. Um, I'm with you. Yeah, man. So for somebody just getting into knife making total yeah. noob has never made a knife, yeah. but has now a knife grinder um, because 
you know, they want to get into knife making. Yeah. What is the, what is a good first project knife to try to tackle? Well, it's very interesting that you say that. And, and I think there's a couple, there, you, there, you have a couple different categories, right? So you have these forge knives, which are, which you kind of need a forge and an anvil and hammers. And you, you know, the, the other thing about knife making is that the, the trickiest part is that it makes it a little bit on the difficult side is you have to do what's called heat treating. Now heat treating is heat treating and tempering are two things that a lot of blacksmiths don't understand. I had a conversation with a couple of blacksmiths. They don't, they say you get it hot and then you quench it in water. Well, what happens is with, with heat treating is, and this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get us back. Don't worry. I, I just give me, just give me a second. So what you're doing is you're bringing steel up to a certain temperature. And then what, what's happening is, is the iron carbides are going into solution and then you're stopping it when they're in the solution and making it hard. So when you bend the steel, it doesn't, it flexes, it doesn't hold the bend, right? So that's the hardest part about knife making. I mean, you can go get a, you know, you know, you can go get a file and then grind a file down. But if you can't heat treat it properly, you're really not making a knife, you're making a shiv, right? So I always tell people, actually, when I talk to my interns, I usually give them a list of people to watch um, to kind of get you around the understanding of what it takes to make a knife, even a simple knife. Aaron Goff, Goff Customs, does awesome videos. I love Aaron Goff. Uh, Michael Trollsky, Trollsky Knives. Those two guys make the best videos on how to make a knife with very limited uh, stuff. Well, because talking about heat treatment, you can only do certain things. Like you can't really, without a, a heat treating oven, you can't do stainless steel. Stainless steel, the temperature that you need to get, this, you know, and the soak time and everything, it's a lot higher than if you were just to make a little fire and, you know, heat her up. So um, what I would suggest is watching those, you know, Aaron Goff and Michael Trolsky, and then maybe uh, I would go with something simple. Go with, you know, those guys do these videos on how to make a knife in one day. Keith sure. Decent suggests, uh, you know, artisanal shiv making. That motherfucker. <laughs> you know, that guy, you know, he's only, he's a hop, skip, he's a hop, skip, and a jump for me, Keith Decent. That fucker's supposed to be down here. He should have been down here. I'm not, Keith, I'm not watching your, I'm not watching these comments. I, I, I know you. We have to, you know, you've been supposed to get down here a long time ago. He's only 20 minutes away. He could probably be here. By before the end of this podcast, <laughs> if he if he if he wasn't too busy making guitars out of cigar boxes, it <laughs> sounds like a challenge, Keith. Uh, Keith, you know where I am. You got my number. Uh, <laughs> what do you say we uh, we air the fight we next week? No, 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 no. He's my boy. I, he's a Hudson Valley guy. Hudson Valley guys are the best. <laughs> cool. So let's talk about what we're working on this week. Yes. James, I feel like I feel like James should have a chance to talk. <laughs> yes, I'm probably not going to be talking too much in this podcast. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> unless you want to talk about uh, knife scales, I'll, I'll do that. But uh, I think I think we do have a question on that coming up. Yeah, All right, well, James, um, what do you work on? For me, I had, uh, was at the the you uh, the Midwest Tool Collectors Association National Meet this week, and uh, I shot a couple live videos while I was there, showing what all was for sale. And I was expecting them to be kind of flops of videos, but both of them have actually done really well. And it was just me walking around showing all the tools for sale at the, the tables. Um, but cool. yeah, that was a fantastic time. Had a lot of good uh, good things purchased. Um, oh, and then I made a uh, box for my daughter for her birthday, um, actually with a with another channel, um, Opa's Workshop. And the two of us went together and I did uh, carving, flocking, and then finishing the box. So that was a, a good time. But uh, Will, what you got? 
Uh, well, I almost got electrocuted last night. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing all this work on my house. We're putting in a pool, and I'm building the kind of pool house, cantina, bar, hangout area, um, getting back to my roots in construction. So I had the footers dug, and then my buddy and neighbor is a mason, and he was coming by to look at the block work for the foundation, um, two courses of block and a course of shoe block, uh, and then I can get the groundwork done. Uh, but he showed up about 8.15 last night. Well, we saw a little bit of light, and we set up on a hill on a bluff uh, about 100 feet um, higher than the the floodplain below. And so you can kind of see the storms roll in over the mountains. Uh, and so I saw this really wicked, nasty. So bad. This is getting so yeah. bad. So saw this really wicked, nasty-looking storm coming over the mountain. And so I said, okay, let's look at this groundwork real quick. And then it started to rain. So I said, all right, let's go into the shop, which is in my basement, which is right next to where, you know, we were looking at the work. And then we got to, you know, chewing the fat and it was, uh, you know, now 830. And so I was having, you know, a cocktail in my shop after I poured some epoxy. And I was sitting there leaning against my steel uh, planer outfeed table and lightning hit and I got lit up. Wow. Uh, what? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if if he was being hyperbolic or not, but he said he saw sparks come out of my glass, and I was locked to the planer for a minute, and what? They went all the that way sounds, up my arm. That sounds crazy. Yeah, it really. I wonder if go. it was like uh, some sort of like huge like like electromagnetic field, more so static electricity than actual lightning. Oh my it, god! It could have been, man, but it came through. I mean, the planer I have run. I've got ten. 10 gauge wire, uh, you know, 225 horsepower leasing, leasing uh, motor. And I don't know, I don't know, but it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Wait, so, you, so your hand was stuck to the planer? Yeah. So, I, I mean, it was, I, wasn't I, mean, the I was epoxy. Wasn't the epoxy. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the epoxy was so, on I mean, the That was in there too. Yeah, no, the epoxy was on a tabletop, uh, just filling some knots and cracks and voids and stuff. Starting um, to think, starting to think that was the epoxy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's what that's what happened. <laughs> that's terrible. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, um, I just got invited uh, to be a speaker at WorkbenchCon next <laughs> February. Um, me and Rick Lefevre of Woodwork Life are doing a joint talk on. Um, basically uh, an extension of my film school Fridays series that I do on, on my channel, on my YouTube channel. Um, so that'll be cool down in Atlanta. And uh, Sweet. I'm doing a joint one with Paul Jackman. So, Oh, cool. So yeah, Sweet. I wonder if people so, are going to yeah. have to choose between your talk or my talk. <laughs> we're going <laughs> we to do like, one of those like UFC posters where we're just face to face. Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, Zach, what are you working on, man? Um, let's see. What did I write down? New video. I put a new video out yesterday and, uh, people seem to like it. So yeah, it's that, uh, that stool video that I did and I hands down put more time into the production in that video than anything else I've ever done and wrote the music for it and all that sort of stuff. So, wow. um, yeah, I mean, I, I probably spent out oh, probably an entire week just editing the video, uh, not including I mean, those are like full days, obviously not a week straight, but I bet cumulative, uh, 
so put a lot of time into that one and uh also still trying to draw attention to that free music service that me and my buddy created so if anybody's looking for free yeah. music to use on their content it is available on ample tunes totally killer that's a great <laughs> idea uh so yeah it's doing great and i don't mean to uh to nudge people but uh we're getting a ton of downloads and very few patreon supporters so um <laughs> you know motherfuckers <laughs> that's what you get for relying on people's goodwill well, well you know it's gonna it's gonna happen it's i, I have faith in our community <clears throat> um i think i think it'll it'll work and i understand that it's a new service and we probably only have about 10 songs out right now so um but you know, it's we're gonna keep moving with it, and the more the more Patreon supporters we get, the more time I can justify not making money through my uh, own personal work that pays me, and I can spend more time putting out music for people. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a little bit of an incentive, but it's not going anywhere, and we're just gonna keep moving along with that. So that's AmpleTunes.com if anybody's interested in. Uh, of it a while ago, it's that anvil stand that I built for my new um Fontanini anvil, so that'll be out hopefully in a couple weeks. That is a serious anvil you have there. I I love it. I know I don't know why Jesse, I'll tell you why because he's ridiculous. If you want to talk (laughs) anvils, Jesse Savage, he likes American style anvils that are four farriers. Yeah, I, I don't know. I love I love this thing. You know, I can tell you, I had an NC Tools uh, seventy pound farrier anvil. That's what I've used for a couple of years, and I really, I, I truly could not believe the difference it made when I when I got this thing. I mean, I expected it'd be like, yeah, it'll probably be a bit better, but I seriously feel like metal moves two times faster on it. It's I don't know if it's in my head or if it's just the extra weight and it's just, but it's unbelievable. Here's, here's, you know, anvils are very, they're near and dear to my heart. I love anvils. And I learned on Euro anvils. Now, yeah. basically you have kind of a two, I mean, if you really wanted to break it down, you have two kind of styles of anvils, really. Really, it's just two. Yeah, and yeah. What the Euro anvil doesn't really have is, the Euro anvil is a little bit more for blacksmiths because there's more face. There's not that step down to the horn. And the American anvil, the anvil that they like on, you know, Looney Tunes, it's 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 got a it's got a long horn and it's got a drop down. I think I use the drop down when I'm like if I have to like adjust something. Yeah. But other than that, if I had to choose between and Jesse, yeah, you're listening to this. I know you're listening to this. You can just you don't have to sit back and relax. I would take a Euro anvil over an American style anvil because I'm not a farrier. Yeah. Well, one of the things you know, <laughs> so you know, you got your, your German patterns and there's the northern and the southern style and. Uh, you know, then your American stuff. Right. Uh, I I really thought initially I was looking for a refling hose, which are, you know, very lusted for, but they're right. also almost impossible to get and they're super yeah. expensive. Um, I really thought I'd like that conical horn that's yeah. perfectly, perfectly round, which I probably would, but I was a little reluctant with the, the, um, the Fontanini or rat hole forge uh, anvil that I bought yeah. because it has, a lot more mass under the horn. It's not perfectly conical. And I thought, yeah, maybe this is going to make things difficult. Because with my farrier anvil, the NC tools one, yeah. when I was trying to, to open up, you know, rounds, I don't know what you call that, like yeah. drift on, around the horn, yeah. it was difficult because it has that flat up top. Right. And, uh, yeah, but I've, I've had no issues with this. And I was even talking to, I talked to Brent Bailey every now and then, who's like a god among men, yeah. I think. And awesome. He was, 
Yeah. And he's like, man, I, I think you made the right choice. And it's nice having that extra mass under the horn because you can really wail on it. And There's just, just a lot of better. jokes about the, the side shelf. The side shelf is the, uh, the side shelf is basically like if you looked yeah. at the face of an anvil, usually on the left or the right, there's this little kind of ledge yep. and it's called the side shelf. There's a lot of uh, debate on whether that's Why do people not like that? I love mine. Well, it depends on how you're standing on the anvil. Yeah, I stand like I stand a little bit to the left. No, I, I, I mean kinda... on the left side or the right side. Like if oh, you it's... want the horn on the left or on the right, and the and the side shelf is in your way, you're gonna you know. Knock I'm knock I'm a horn left person. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and and the side shelf is opposite to me. So okay, right. Um, so I'm yeah, goofy footed. What's that? <laughs> so I'm goofy footed. What? Where would I stand at an anvil? <laughs> Are you right handed? Yeah. I would say that you stand with the horn. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of debate. You probably know better than I do, Jeff. I don't know. I, you know, I, st- I have two anvils. I stand on both sides. I just, I, the side shelf, I like the side shelf because if you're, if you're scrolling snubs or if you're starting scrolls, it is kind of nice to have something that you can kind of go under, but it's not a make or break situation. It's just like a joke that these guys are just like, oh, fucking your side shelf. So I don't really, yeah, I, don't really I, I really enjoy mine. And you know, I really find that, uh, I don't, I, I'm happy that the waist on my anvil isn't any wider. Hmm. There's, I know that sounds weird, but I'm actually, I think I prefer that narrow ish waist because, you know, sometimes, especially when you're shouldering stuff like making tongs. Yeah. Sometimes like you don't want a ton of room because if your shoulders are relatively close together, you can't do that effectively on a, on an anvil with a big waist. Ultimately it's what you can, you know, it's, 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 it's the same thing with the knife. It's like, it's really, it's what you can do with it, not what it is. I mean, yeah. it, you shouldn't really. I told somebody if you can't make dinner with a paint scraper and a garbage can lid, this three hundred dollar knife ain't going to change things. You know, it's like, you know, the, the same thing with an anvil. I mean, you can have the best anvil in the world, or the or or a or a uh, or a train track or whatever, and if you can't really, yeah. I mean, it's not going to make you do better. It's, well, I mean, you see. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that there's Smiths out there that are turning out unbelievable work on terrible. I mean, I, I hate to, I'm, I'm sure it's taboo for any Smith or knife maker to discuss forged and fire. And I, um, it, I'm not, you know, no, I, it, it's entertaining. I'll give it that. But I mean, you do see people that turn out great work and then you see their shop and you're like, oh my God, like, how are you doing this out of this? I think that forged and fire is ultimately good. It's, it's, it's. It's it's good to get the com the people who don't know about what's going on to give them a taste of what's going on. They're watching people do something that they haven't seen before, right? Yeah. And that's amazing. And people seeing the fire and there's the sparks and then then the, this and then the the problem. And I have a lot of friends of mine who've been on it. I have a lot of friends of mine who've been champions. I'm not for it or against it. I understand why people are love it. I understand people why I hate it. I accept it for what it is. I, I'm not a fan of competing with another person. I'm not a fan of, I, I, my knives are different than this guy's knife. And me being faster doesn't make my knives better than the other guy. So yeah. I, I think that ultimately the, I know, you know, guys who are, they hate it, guys who've been on it and they love it and it's helped yeah. their lives. So I think that it's ultimately, I accept it for what it is. I appreciate it. I appreciate my friends who've been on it. I have friends who've lost. I, it's, it doesn't, I think it's ultimately good. Yeah, I think so too. Cause it just, it's, it's just like the, you know, whole, whole like pallet wood 
introducing everybody sure. in the world to yeah. building stuff out of wood. Like yeah. something that it might not be spot on. It might not be perfect, the best way to represent something, but it is entertaining and it gets people interested in making stuff. It's a footstep into this, into the fact that people are actually not dropping exactly. in. But then on the other hand, you know, like you see these people that like, I remember I watched the episode where Walter Sorrells was on there and I'm like, Oh, this guy's going to tear these guys. This guy's going to mop the floor with these dudes. Yeah. And like his knife shattered. I mean, it's just, and it's not, obviously it's not because he's not a good Smith, but it's you, like you said, that competition of like people working super fast and you know, it's happened to a lot of other Smiths that have, that have gone out early because you know, it's not their comfort zone. It's not their workflow. It's not their, if you listen to chop knives podcast, uh, Craig Lockwood interviewed, uh, Walter Sorrells and he talks about that episode. So there you go. What's the, it's called knife talk, knife talk. I think it was episode, episode. What are the bullet points of that one? Do you remember? He just, he, you know, Craig does this great podcast where he talks to knife makers. He's talked to a lot of, uh, Fortune Fire guys and a lot of not. He talked to Bob Kramer. He talks to like a lot, the best of the best, really. Um, but he talks to Walter Sorrells, and Walter Sorrells explains that you got the lights on and it's hot in there. And I, I, I'm saying this because I would imagine it's probably not very well vented. And then there's yeah. a million cameras, and you know you got you know master bladesmiths sitting up there watching you, waiting for you to do something bad. I'm sure it's stressful in general, but then all of a sudden the pressure, I was just talking to Mareko Momasi a couple of days ago. He said, yeah. uh, okay. he said, Amazing. yeah, he's incredible. But he said the first time it was, you know, it took him, he was on twice. He's yeah. like, the second time I felt a lot more confident and you know, you don't really get a lot of chances to be comfortable on TV forging. That's true. All right, so I'm going to segue into some listener questions um, that, so maybe not forged in fire, you know, TV cameras on you, but what, this is from uh, Jim Dockrell, what is the biggest error that you see in YouTube knife makers um, and the knives that they make? The biggest, the biggest area, I think you left, the biggest, the the biggest uh, critique? What is is the biggest error you see? Oh, error, I thought you said area. What is the biggest error? Yeah. I, I don't think, I think that my opinion is, is that YouTube is an awesome resource. And I think that there are a lot of knife makers out there who are doing incredible, you know, educational information. Really what it comes down to is if you're going to forge knives, you really should be going to a school because what you're going to do is you can either invest in all this equipment and just hope that you kind of, you know, trudge your way through all the problems, or you can go, it's like going to the gym. You don't go to the gym for the first time and just start bench pressing like a mental patient you, you got a trainer and then they kind of guide you the way to do this correctly so i think that youtube You've never been to my gym i've never been to a gym how's that <laughs> so people like, like so. They're, they're doing completely unconventional exercises on like <laughs> anyway sorry I'm i think that right. i just think that i think that the most important thing that youtube people i think that there's a lot of good information in there i think that encouraging people to go to see Nick Rossi at the, uh, at the New England School of Metalworks or go see Pat Quinn and see that, you know, you take that, uh, the Nick Anger class over at the Center for Metal Arts. I think those classes are the types of classes that it might be hard to invest in, but what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to get an immediate, you're going to get an immediate, uh, 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 education that's going to put you through. If you do the ABS classes, you know, if you're a member of the American Bladesmiths Association, you take two week classes that, two weeks of classes. I know it isn't easy for a lot of people, but it automatically, it propels you in the process getting closer to being a journeyman Smith. So I think that um, guys like 
like I said before, Aaron Goff, I think uh, Michael Trolsky are awesome guys that, that you should be looking at. If you want to get a little bit higher level, Nick Wheeler is the greatest of all time. Hats off to Nick Wheeler. Unbelievable. Uh, I think a lot of people, I think, I also think that there's a, so much information that's out there, but everyone's doing the same thing. And it's like, you need to kind of like squirrel it away, squirrel <laughs> it away into a couple guys. Yeah. All right. I don't know if I um, so Keith has, I, I think, I think you did. Keith Decent? Yeah, Keith Decent has a question, question for you, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, favorite scale material, material combo? Um, that is a good question. Keith, how dare you ask me a question like that? Well, so I, when, as, when I was an art major, I really enjoyed color theory. So what I tried to do. Color theory. What did I say? <laughs> Inside joke. Sorry. Oh, all right. Well, I thought you said something other than color theory, but that's fine. So I really like color theory. I think that. Um, when you have G10 material, which I like very much, it's like, it's very similar to fiberglass. Um, you, you can put it together in ways in which you can kind of make contrasting colors, really activate the colors and activate the knife. So I like that. Recently I've been working with, um, all right. So the answer to that is I like G10 and I like micarta, tan canvas micarta a lot, but I've been dealing a lot with, um, a local uh, Hudson Valley, uh, mills and I've been getting great wood. I've been stabilizing the wood from these local uh, uh, Hudson Valley sources. <sighs> Favorite color combination is my signature series colors, which is blue on the outside, uh, green stripe with a yellow liner. That's my favorite these days. All right. G Follow-up question. Uh, it's not from Keith, is it? No, this one's from me. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Keith, uh, it's a two-part question. Uh, I was going to say, if you're using wood for a kitchen knife, um, scale right. material. Um, so you said you're stabilizing yes. uh, the wood. Uh, if you didn't stabilize, what kind of finish would you put on the handle? That's going to get it washed a lot. Well, here's here, so just explain what I don't know. Should I explain what stabilizing is real quick? Yes. All right. So wow. stabilizing is you take you know wood is porous. That's why when you open your windows in the summertime, it swells up and it's tough. You know, it expands and contrasts. You guys are wood guys. You know that. So if you get a little vacuum chamber. And then you put your wood scales in the vacuum chamber and then you fill it up with this resonance. Usually there's the best ones called uh, cactus juice. Yep. And then you kind of put a, a, a block on top. You keep it submerged. You turn on your vacuum and the vacuum sucks out all the air out of the chamber and out of the wood. So then when you're done, after all the bubbles are gone, then you, uh, you turn it off and then wherever there was air, it now filled with resin. Um, and then after a long soak, uh, you give it a bake. And then what happens is all those spaces that there was air is now filled with resin. So there's no contracting and contract. Uh, there's no uh, contracting air. There's no expanding and whatever. So I started doing my own stabilizing because I really wanted to use more local stuff. So I, I suggest for kitchen knives, and especially stabilized handles are better because over time, you will have better results. Now, I actually have, the only knife of mine I have is a little paring knife with a non-stabilized walnut. I've been using it for three years, not stabilized, and, and I get it wet, I wash it off. I haven't had any problems with it, which is a little shocking, but it's fine. Um, I've been using this wax lately, um, this clear, non-too-lean too lean wax. I think I've heard of that. Yeah, I think it's in the background there somewhere. This, uh, this flag wax, great. I'm not a BLO guy. I'm, hmm. I'm off BLO. Hmm. Right. Okay. Them's fighting words. You ever uh, you ever <laughs> used uh, Paduke for handles? I have not used Paduke. Such a good looking wood. I bought a chunk of it the other day. 
I know it's a little, probably a little bit more porous than ideal, but I'm sure there's. It's beautiful. No, I, I just, I just got back from the blade show and my business partner and I went down and we blew a grand on wood. It was pretty hard not to. It was. When you go to the blade show, the great thing is you can actually see the wood. So instead of like looking at a picture, you can actually pick it up. And what was what was the highlight of the blade show? Uh, seeing my friends, that was really great. Um, actually, Alex Steele jumping out of a bush and hugging me was pretty amazing. That was bizarre. <laughs> he just kind of he snuck into the blade show and then he made his rounds. And that was that was bizarre. I was I was uh, having a drink with a couple of knife makers, and all of a sudden he just kind of pops out. That was like a That's like a awesome. leprechaun. I, uh, I I like the highlight. One of the things on my Instagram stories is when he and uh, Liam Hoffman had an arm wrestling contest in the hotel lobby. I thought, yeah, that was there's hilarious. a lot of arm there's a lot of arm wrestling going there. Well, I don't care about the rest. It was just funny seeing those two. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, Liam, I think Liam gave him his. I don't know what happened genetically to Liam Hoffman's arms, but for big you know, dude. Like a twenty year old kid or twenty one year old kid, and he's got some yeah. good genes. Um, well, it works hard. Another question. You know, it's funny. This is, this is completely on the fly. Uh, I almost ordered. So, so we just got one of the best things that has ever happened in my life. My wife and I bought a Costco membership like a week ago. Right. And we've already spent like probably $900 there. And like 25 pounds of macadamia nuts. We have like a lifetime supply of staples. Like yeah. we will never have to buy toilet paper again. We'll never have to buy flour or sugar right. or like it's, we're set for life there. Um, and and they have like a great wine and cheese selection, which is phenomenal. Right. Anywho, uh, so we got a whole bunch of cheese, and I'm like, man, I need a good cheese knife because everything I have sucks. Do you have any recommendations? No. <laughs> no. No. My, right. wife, my wife wanted me to make a, a cheese knife too, and I said, I got, I, I don't. Does any, I, I mean, does anybody make a good one? I've heard of like, do you, I don't know. I've, I don't know if you I'm have not any in the, there. You know, it's that's a, you you stumped me there, Zach. I, I right. good oyster knife, good chef's knife. Cheese knife, I, you know, I, I think I have a, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a big Laiole fan. Laiole has, has been a, a knife brand from France that I've always liked. Where, where, how do you spell that? Oh, God. Uh, L-A-G-O-U-I. There's I's and O's and L's and L's and E's. And all of them are not where you think they should be. But they're, you know, it's... Just, so. just ask Alexa. Right. Yeah. So it's a, it's a famous, it's a, I think it's an area in France and they've been, there's all these different companies and they're known for, and you've seen them, they're known for their waiter's knives. Hey, um, uh, live chat. If somebody wants to, to figure that out and post it, go ahead and we'll spell it's it La, out. Lyle or cheese knife. Uh, I don't know. I don't know any. I don't know any people. See, the I thing don't, is, it's oh, like I was. Oh, I was like, I don't, I don't make cheese knives. Isaiah Schroeder. Schroeder <laughs> Knife Works. Schroeder Knife Works in Madison, Wisconsin. The, okay. That's the head of you know. That's the state. That's the country. Wisconsin. He knows cheese knives. Isaiah yeah. is the greatest. He's well, actually. So here's, here's the tricky thing. Isaiah is like Schroeder. I I did like an internet search and I'm like oh, okay, there's all these great companies and then you go to their page and they're like well, this is the knife that you want to cut like super soft cheese. And yeah. it's like, this is the one for medium hard cheese. This and they're like, this is yeah, one for medium to super soft hard cheese. That's And it's like, I well, just have, want a knife to... With cheese, to, you have different softnesses as well as you have different yeah. adhesives. In other words... It, it's, it's ridiculous though. Like it's so overcomplicated that I'm just like, I was I was ready. I was ha- ready to happily throw down some money on a knife. And I started... Re- Does that ever happen to you guys? There's just too much information. You're like, okay, I'm ready to do this. And you start looking into it and you're like... This is way too confusing. I'm not going to buy anything. Like, figure that seems this that really seems like way overkill for cheese. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> you're not from Wisconsin. I'm not. I, yeah, I, I might have to agree with that. I, I think I, I, 
I, at any given time, there's like a good 20 to 30 different types of cheese in my refrigerator. Wow. That's, a, that's, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. So you must have an excellent cheese knife. Right? <laughs> not a good. series of different knives for different cheeses. See? That's I don't believe Christ. it. That's uh, so, you say Jesus Christ? That's outrage. All right. <laughs> I say you go to Schroeder. All right, here it is. You go to Isaiah Schroeder, Schroeder Knife Works. He makes awesome knives. That's okay. Um, I, so I think right, the right. water jet water jet cuts this the state of Wisconsin is water jet cut in the middle, too. Okay. That's well, cool. we could, maybe right. water cutter for cheese. Maybe that's the way to go. All right. I got this. Is, all right. Pairing knife begin. I started a debate on okay. Facebook and it got really ugly uh between knife guys and like chemists and metallurgists and scientists um beginner knife steel carbon steel uh home heat treating no special tempering ovens what's your favorite steel for a beginner all right i i like 1084 1084 steel is not only is it easy to forge but it's also easy to normalize and heat treat so i go 1084 yeah 1084 is you get great results every time I've heard that. I've heard. I have 1075, 1080. It's you know. I, which I, is I, probably I, pretty close. I would imagine. I just recently he treated some fifty two one hundred, and that was easy too. I, I think that you know. Isn't that stuff notoriously difficult to like move though? Like the metal. Fifty two one hundred. Yeah. I haven't, no, I don't, I have no. I don't know. I, I don't know. Like that's the ball bearing steel, which apparently is like if you're trying to hammer that stuff out, it's a nightmare. From what well, I, I haven't. I don't. I haven't. He. I haven't forged any 5200 but i oh. made some stock removal knives with it and he treated outstanding uh, fyi keith decent chimed in L- how do you keith. pronounce it laguli laguli you motherfucker you keith just keith turn it off go back to go back down the beacon get yourself a cup of coffee just relax leave it alone uh so L A G U I O L E. If anybody else is on the same cheese is on the same cheese knife quest as myself, you're now informed. Uh I had some questions too. I can't remember. Oh, so as far as um so I actually have, and I know you are a big fan of even heat as well. I have one I have one of their uh, ovens that's just shipped yesterday, so I'm gonna get that in the next few days. It's their nice twenty-two and a half inch deep something or other is that the lb i don't know all right so they just came out with a new product no i don't think it's is the, the lb is long blade right long blade well it's it's long blade but it's really about not having any coils in the back oh so the whole idea you don't know, heat treating ovens they have coils on the sides in the back right so you when you're ordering an oven you're basically it depends on the kind of knives knives that you're making so if you're making small like pairing knives or edc knives if you have an 18-inch oven with coils in the back, it's not a big deal. But the longer your knife is, the closer they are to the coils. So your temperature is being read by the in the middle of the oven, right? So if your knives are on the longer side and you're, it puts your tip of your knife closer to the coils, uh-huh. you might be getting your tips a little bit hotter than you would want them. So they came up with these new ovens for, they call it the LB, long blade. There's no coils in the back, so if you have an 18-inch an 18 inch oven, but you're only making 16, 17 inch knives, the tip of your knife isn't next to the coils. So you're getting more of an even heat and you're not that burning makes the tip sense. of your knife. Yeah. Uh, let me see, what did I get? I'm gonna look right now. But anyway, uh, no, I think I got the KF 22.5. That's great. Maybe. Great. I, think may, that's I, what I, got. I tell you one thing about even heat and I, I'm a, you know, you can say I'm a shill for them. I love those guys. The, you, it's a father, two sons. 
And you can, you can, if you have a problem, you reach out to the son on Instagram on a Saturday night, he's going to respond Saturday night. He, these guys are, their customer service is amazing. I I will say, I don't know. I don't know the, the, like the intricate details of the company, but I've been talking with Spencer. I don't know. Spencer's great. I, yeah, I love Spencer. Yeah. I don't know which member of the family he is, but I will say that uh, he's gotten back to my emails at like 8.30 p.m. Yeah. on like Saturday. Yeah. So like it's it's really nice to deal with the company that you can tell. And they're, I mean, from what I can tell, they're a big company. I mean, they, they make a lot of stuff and they're, I think they're a, probably five or six weeks out right now, which means... They are, they are. Well, they have to make an order. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's so, so Spence is the youngest brother. He's great. Spence is awesome. And, and his older brother, Quinn, and his, their dad, Mike, they're all awesome. But, you know, if you think about the funny thing is, is like, especially with knife makers, you're talking about the one person, you know, talking about a small percentage of people who are actually going to buy ovens for their home. I mean, if you told, you know, you're, you know, you're investing money in an oven, to make knives and it's not your business, it's kind of like a big investment. So yeah. what they do is they do all these different variations, like based on the size, you can get one. If you want to make kirkeries and long swords, you can make them for a chef knife. They're making all these incredible variations, like the long blade. I love the long blade and then they're doing great. It's, it's the construction's different. The, everything about it's different. They have a new relay that's really awesome. But they're like trying to make better ovens for a small percentage of people. Yeah. Like they're, it, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's it's cool that it's amazing that there. I didn't know that there was only three people. I mean, well, you, I think they're, they're that's I think well, that's yeah, the that's the, the core. But I mean, you look at how much stuff they're producing. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's incredible. Pretty much, they're. I, I would say that they're probably the number one out there. There's that what's the Okta or whatever. Some there's some other company out there. That, well, you know, I like I, my opinion is 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 like I've used Paragon of Paragon. They're great. Right. I, I met with the guys at some other places, and I, I would never say a bad word about another company. I, what I know is, is based on my experience. When I ordered my even heat, I got it from USA Knife Maker, and I got the one that was. I, I didn't. I, my first one was at my shop in my house, and I it was like, I have a. I'm not going to put another 220 line, and I got the 120 line. Well, uh, the 120 oven is great. And every time I've met, I met them. I met them. I went to talk to them last year at Blade. We had a really nice conversation. They were super great. Um, the times have had problems. I will say the one thing about the even heat that other people don't have is they have these, what's called a tap control and the tap control is like a, like your iPad. So when you're putting in recipes for your heat treating or your you can play angry birds, well, or you can just, you know, they come up and they're easy to, it's easy to work. Yes, you can play. Angry birds. But, but the great thing is, is they're super easy to store. They're easy to program, but they have this little Wi-Fi dongle and it allows you to, if you connect your, your oven to the Wi-Fi. Holy you crap. Can get, you can get an app. Now here's this is this is awesome. So you can get an app, an even heat app, and then you kind of load it's super easy and then they walk you through it and it's not a big investment. So you get the tap control, then you get the Wi-Fi, and then you get the app. And then all of a sudden, if you have to run to the hardware store or you have to run to the train station, which I'm doing all the time, and I'm running it uh, and I know I haven't I know that my oven is at a certain cycle or a certain, you know, what temperature, and I, I don't want to have to like roll the dice and guess where I'm at. I can look at the phone and they'll say, all right, you're at, you know, 1475. And then I know how many, how much time I have until I got to quench these knives. Huh. That's super cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's awesome. I mean, it's like, it's weird, but it's awesome. So my other question was when you, before you quench, yeah. 
Uh, do you do you get it up to temperature in the kiln or in the forge? I I when I first started making knives, I learned how I was well as a blacksmith first, and then I was taking some knife making classes with a friend of mine, uh, Matt Paul from MP Knives. That guy makes awesome. Knives. So when I first started doing it, I was a blacksmith, so I didn't know from kilns and heat treating them. So I was doing everything with a forge. When I started to I started to get involved with kilns because when you're doing stainless steel, yeah. You can't, you, you have to get, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're heat treating knives at 1500 degrees, that's carbon steel knives or whatever, austenites around 1500 degrees. But if you need to go up to, you know, stainless steels like 1900, sometimes 1950, and you have to hold it for a specific amount of time, that's when you have to jump in the kilns. The thing is with the kilns is, is it's like, it's pretty like, there's no sticking sticking in and out. And, you know, I normalize my kilns. I do as much as I can and it gives me a, a better, you know, I'm closer in regards to what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like what for, for high, like medium, high carbon steels, like what's your quench temperature? Well, it depends on the steel, you know, Austin, like you know, or something like that. 1084. I, I tell you what I have been doing lately. And it's a lot of it has to do with, you know, a lot of some guys, some, I know some guys who quench at like 1475. I usually get myself up to about like 15, 1520 because you want, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get it to the critical state. Like mm-hmm. if you, sometimes if you set your oven to 1500 degrees, you say, you know, all right, 1500 degrees, but it may be a little bit high or low. And what you need to do is you need to make sure that your iron carbide is in solution. So you might have to jump it out. And the other thing is, is once you pull it out, you got to really get into the oil fast. Or yeah. You have to really keep that's, that's really critical to how hard your steel is because the quicker you're getting it in, the more time, you know, the quicker it's going to stay in that austenite stage and then get it in the Martin side. So I, uh, you know, for carbon steel, I'm usually in my 1084. I'm, sometimes I'm like 15, 20, 15, yeah. 15, 20. Huh. Okay. And do you have any, uh, any, what's your opinion on quench? I think I have the super or the 11 second quench is what I usually use. I, I use Parks 50. I, yeah. I, I think Which, that. I think they're supposed to be. Sometimes Parks 50 seems like it can be kind of difficult to procure. So I got I got the 11 second from McMaster Carr. Well, USA Knife Maker now. Tracy's selling Tracy over USA Knife Maker is selling gallons. So you can get a gallon. Oh, okay. uh, you can get gallons of Parks 50 and different stop different te- different uh, different types. So that's the thing is you used to have to buy like you know five gallon buckets and now you can buy uh, gallons, which if, huh. you know, for a knife, you're only, yeah. you know, you just get a piece of pipe and then weld a plate to the bottom and you don't need a whole long, you know, a gallon of a gallon of quench oil is going to be more than you need. Yeah. Huh. Cool. cool. Yeah. It's, it's, but it's also like, it's whatever you, you know, that's the thing. It's whatever you can do. You know, if, if you can't, you got to do whatever it takes sometimes. So if you're yeah. using oil oil and, you know, a lot of people, you know, you got to do whatever it takes. Some people don't have that. Yeah. Yeah, I think just getting getting if it's something you're interested in, just getting started. I need to know what's funny. I know I know it's got to be something. I need to know what's funny. What? Oh, there's some. some I'm not reading the comments. So I. Oh, uh, Moonshine Metalworks and Keith Decent are getting into it uh, <laughs> in the live chat. That's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Keith's a rough well, Due to the uh, the time, I think we're going to hold off on the creators photo challenge until next week. Okay. Sorry, uh, guys. If you no, did, that's right. your, this is, this if is you good. did get in your uh, your challenge for texture, uh, then you can have one more week to get that in. So yeah, so that'll give me a shot to actually participate this time. What is this challenge? Oh, anyone who wants to uh, to join in, they can 
submit a picture on Instagram with the hashtag creators photo challenge. And each week we have a different, uh, uh, a different goal, whether it be, you know, rule of thirds or uh, black and white or something like that. This week we are doing texture. So we're looking for texture in your shop. Yeah. And so the, the way Jeff, that this came about was uh, I'm a professional photographer and also YouTuber, woodworker, furniture maker, uh, and Zach wanted to get more into photography and photographing right. his work. Um, and so we were on the podcast one day and we were talking about all this photo stuff. And then Zach kind of threw it out there, you know, maybe we should start a challenge to help people in the workshop get better at taking, uh, photographing their work. And so he put it to me to make a challenge every week to talk about a compositional element or, um, to get you thinking outside the box when it comes to photography. Um, and so it just kind of became this thing. So it's the creator's photo challenge. Did you talk about say no to the hand pictures, the knife hand pictures? Leave that for Nick Anger. <laughs> Let Nick Anger, Nick Anger owns the knife hand picture. So if you have a knife in your hand and you're not Nick Anger, <laughs> you're something else out. It's ain't working. He's got that. He's got that down. Well, I tell you what, for the the joke of the week, uh, Jeff, you have you have one you brought in. Why don't you? Uh, well, this yours? this this joke came from my friend Sunset Forge, John Ariani, Sunset Forge, New Jersey. The joke is, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm gonna fuck it up. I, I, that's for sure. It's gonna. It's uh. Did you know that the Dalai Lama has a gambling problem? Really? Yes, he loves to bet. Fucking <laughs> John, John Ariani, man, that fucking joke is great. I love that joke. He hit me up with it yesterday on my my Instagram live and stopped me cold. <laughs> good, I like it. John Ariani, greatest. Um, so let's see what we got here. Uh, what's new? What are we watching and or reading? Will, what do you got? Uh, so I watched this guy on Epicurious talk about different price points of uh, knives. Um, yeah, that fucking guy. Yeah, that guy. Uh, <clears throat> so it's Jeff Fader. Uh, the Epicurious episode uh, is really, really interesting to hear a, a knife maker talk about the price points, um, high-end expensive knives versus really – uh, affordable, just more utilitarian knives. Uh, I thought the most real expensive one, the big one, the big expensive one. That was from Mareko Mamasi. He hooked yeah. me up. Yeah, that was a, that was a huge score. They only had six days between when they finalized it to when we photo shoot, and I had a, I, I needed a favor. And I, they said, "Can you get a Damascus bread knife?" And I'm like on the phone, I'm like, "Are you out of your mind?" So I called him Mareko. He's like, "I got one for you." Took care of, it, drove it down, cleaned <laughs> wow. it up, drove it down. That's awesome. Wow. So did you get to keep it? No, I, you know what the funny part was, is the, the, when we went to there, went there, you know, I, I, he drove it down. You don't put that thing in the mail. You know, that thing was, I mean, it really, I literally, it literally is incredible. But when I got to the set, I was showing the producers, there were producers and all these people. And I just turned to this one person and I said, listen, I don't, I don't take this any, the wrong way, but if you drop this, I have to put my hands on you. So that was the end of that. So I was doing all the moving of that night. That knife didn't, I was doing all the moving of that night. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, three grand. It's not really. Yeah. Yeah. Keith says that was actually Vince Vaughn in that video, not you. (laughs) He's got to worry. Yeah. I get get that a lot. Yeah. That and Uh, apparently Hobo Chris Pratt. Hobo. Hobo Hobo Chris Pratt. 
that. All that right. should be your Instagram, your personal Instagram. It's hobo well, at, at well, hobo Chris Pratt. The funny thing is, is like I've gotten Vince Vaughn, and the Vince Vaughn thing is so stupid because it's just my high forehead and my bags under my eyes. So <laughs> there was a, there was a couple years ago, Vince Vaughn, I guess, got a a, a blue belt in uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu with the Gracies, right? So I posted it on my Facebook page saying, "I worked so hard for this. I, this is like the hardest <laughs> thing I ever worked for. I'm so glad I did it. I stuck with it." I mean, there's clearly Vince Vaughn. I'm getting all these congratulations to the point where I saw someone at a hammering last week and they're like, that's really great that you're in a martial arts. I'm like, it wasn't me. It was <laughs> I get, I get uh, chubby Dave Grohl. So there you go. And everybody with facial hair gets Dave Grohl at some point. I, for some reason, get Dave Grohl a ton. And You used to get Jesus. I used to get Jesus a lot. Yeah, that's true. Wow. I don't really, well, back, I, I used to have long hair. Vaughn, you know, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. that's I don't I don't get anything anymore though so uh yeah. no I have no, uh, I have no I, celebrity doppelgangers I get this I get this uh, the most spent looking actor there is Vince <laughs> Vaughn <laughs> nothing, no one looks more spent than Vince Vaughn thanks Keith thanks for uh, making it feel worse <laughs> James James what are you watching reading what's inspiring you. Uh, I have to go with the the third coast craft third coast craftsman. I've actually uh, got to hang out his shop last weekend. We had a fun time. Probably be making a collab video here soon. Cool. Uh, but he did a video on plane restoration that I, I really think is one of the the best ones on YouTube. Uh, really going into detail and talking about different methods. Um, very well done. So uh, definitely check out uh, the third coast craftsman. Yeah, and I ordered one of his shirts and one of his coffee cups. Wow. I'm turning into an old man because I actually like I found that I I kind of collect coffee mugs, which is such an old man thing to do. But I love coffee and I use them all. So cool. yeah, that was a really there. good video. I you like got to do whatever it takes, Zach. You got to do whatever it takes. <laughs> Sometimes it's collecting coffee cups. Sometimes you just oh. got to do whatever it takes. So what uh, you got, Jeff? Um. Uh, as uh, I would say, I listen to the Opie Radio podcast. Which What's that? It's uh, Opie from the former Opie from Sirius Radio. He's got a podcast, and actually, his one of the guys he does it with. This guy, Chef Carl Ruiz, Sabor Chef on Instagram. He and I have been making some knives lately, so we might go on that podcast soon. Um, that's a great podcast. Uh, lots of food talk, lots of funny jokes, funny comedians and stuff like that. I listen to that. I listen to the Blacksmith's Pub podcast because I'm on the board of directors there and I'm now the executive producer. So I listen to the Blacksmith's Pub and I do listen to Knife Talk by Chop Knives. Craig Lockwood does an awesome knife making interview show. We talk to knife makers and I listen to that. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. Well, Zach, next? Oh, me. Um, yeah, so I've been uh, I caught up with all my fools with tools uh, podcast episodes, which is Steve from Moonshine Metalworks, Al from Al's Hack Shack, and uh, Brett McAfee from Brett McAfee Skull and Spade, Jimmy's daughter. Uh, so yeah, I've been uh, catching up on those. Those are interesting, and since I'm all caught up on those, I've been uh, going back and, and trying to catch up on my uh, Blacksmith Pub episodes. So. They had haven't. a good one. Uh, the last one they had with Steve Bronstein was very good. I am on. So, so I will say, uh, let me see where where am I at in there? I'm finding it. So I'm on. I'm on episode 18 right now, and uh, the first few I will say, like the first 10 or so, or uh, you know, if you want to get straight to the meat of stuff, those are a little tough because they're kind of getting a feel yeah. for things, and they're not that there's anything wrong with that. It's no, every no, podcast. No. Rick and uh, Jesse are Rick and Jesse are doing their. They're trying to feel it out. They're they, they've been getting some. Uh, the last one they had a different voice on a different voice on Stephen 
Bronstein or a different voice in the blacksmithing world is very interesting. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, if that's something that you're interested in there, there's great content in all of their shows, but uh, yeah. So cool. that's what I've been listening to. Well, cool. why don't you keep us going with what, uh, what's your product or tool of the week? So my product of the week, um, since it is always like 130 degrees in my shop, it's absolutely miserable. I drink a disgusting amount of water every day. And I did notice since I've been doing a lot of post production, like color grading and or white balance and color grading and stuff that I need more white things in my shop <laughs> just so that I can set the balance. So, uh, I bought a 32 ounce hydro flask in nice <laughs> pure white. And I, I did notice that like, I almost always have a water bottle somewhere in the background of my shop. So now I'll have a white one, which will make my color grading way easier and it will keep me hydrated. Nice. Very cool. Very good. What about you, Jeff? What you, what you uh, My favorite tool of the week is even heat LB 18 with, uh, it's awesome. It's the great, it's, it makes heat treating just, it makes me, it just dials me right in. You make me want to pick one up. You should. What, what would you do in there, James? I took it up to my bike to power it. <laughs> I, I just, I just heat treated two hammers in it. It's great. It's great oven. Hot as hell. So I'm curious with your hammers. Yeah. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of different, a lot of different strategies there. Some people just like, you know, heat treat the, the faces. Some people do the, the whole thing and there's all sorts of different. It's weird. Ideas. It's funny that you say that. I am not a hammer maker. I actually love making hammers. And the times I've made hammers have been with Sunset Forge, New Jersey, uh, Sunset Forge NJ, and Cliff Dufton. Those I want to go up there and do that with them. Those guys make are my favorite people. They're my favorite people. And we'll get you. I'll make sure that you get a hold of them and we'll get you over there. They, they make awesome hammers and they're awesome teachers and it's great. Um, the funny thing about blacksmiths are is a lot of times when blacksmiths talk when you talk to them about heat treating they have a blank stare usually they get it hot they put it in the water that's really i mean i get I, i've heard i've talked to blacksmiths and they just they don't understand i think maybe understand i i, I should say, say gen, that say maybe generally that way we get but less hate a lot of, well it's fine <laughs> generally speaking though my friends who talk about heat treatment they just you know you get it hot and dunk it in the water and then you know you use a turbo torch or you heat up a piece of steel and then you put it on the eye and then you temper it that way. I've been heat treating with my oven and then I've been tempering it in my oven. And I just recently tempered uh, a little hammer that I made. And it came out, I mean, straw yellow, golden. It was like a golden hammer. So it's like, you know, it all depends on what you got. Cool. <clears throat> well, Will, what you got? Uh, a cheap belt sander. Um, it's just the skill three by 18 belt sander. Uh, I just turned these big, uh, big table pedestal legs Those were huge they were did, big did you ever have any moment that you thought your lathe was going to explode uh i got or it so, the piece was going to fly off of the lathe that was just a huge piece to turn it was a yeah two two huge pieces to turn um it they're about 50 pounds a piece and i used uh, a face plate and used every screw hole um and then uh, what i'd do is i'd crank up the lathe until it started you know rocking and vibrating and walking across the room and then I'd back it down just a little bit. So I was turning those at about 500 RPM um, until I got them roughed into shape uh, into a cylinder. And then I cranked it up to about 1200 RPM uh, and just kept my tool sharp and I didn't have any bad catches or anything. So, um, but with uh, you know, the, the glue up things got a little out of, out of sorts, out of flatness. So uh, I, turned 
the pedestal legs and then I would, um, you know, flatten off one side and then flatten off the other side. And it left these, uh, you know, a small ridge of un un unevenness. Uh, and it was all end grain and trying to hold a cylindrical pedestal leg in a vise and try to use a hand plane just wasn't working. And I was getting a lot of chatter and tear out. Uh, and so I grabbed my belt sander and flattened up the top and bottoms and it made it like super quick, super easy, super simple. So cheap belt sander. Nice. <laughs> James? Well, I have to go with a sharp handsaw. Uh, I was in a, a shop this week. I'm helping out at a camp and I needed to cut up some boards. I was looking for a circular saw and needed an extension cord and needed a place to plug it in. And I was like, what am I doing? And I turn around, I grab a handsaw and I cut the board. It's just like, it, you know, even when you're working in a full power tool shop, having a really good sharp handsaw that you know is going to cut quickly is often much faster than, uh, than a power saw if you just need to make a cut. And, uh, so yes, cool. get a good sharp Good quality hands on, not one of those cheap things you get at the big box store. <laughs> so, so Jeff, uh, yes. if, if you have uh, romanced people into trying to find out more about you, uh, what's where's the best place well, to? You have two Instagrams. That's confusing, yeah. man. Well, I, here's why I had to do that because I have Fader Knives, um, which is F -E -D -E like F E D E R K N I V E S, and that was really that's was to feed my website. So. It was a really great way to interact with people, but it also would feed my website. We're redoing my website now, and um, we're not gonna have to worry about that anymore. But the other thing is, is I started Instagram years ago with Jeff Fader, and it was all my sculpture. You know, it was all the sculpture I was doing, and I kind of like the idea of like separating them out because if I just start, you know, Instagram and social media is very interesting. But if you don't like kind of target exactly what you're doing, people are kind of confused that it's a business. So Fader Knives really is about my knife business. business. And then Jeff Fader, I usually do sculpture. I do work in progress stuff. I do a little bit more older stuff, some stuff that doesn't really, you know, kind of blacksmithing, sculpture-y kind of stuff, but it's not gonna, I don't want people to be confused in regards to Fader Knives as a business, so. Okay, which one do you spend more time on? I I hate going on both of them, but I, I, uh, <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do a lot of, I do actually, I do a lot of Instagram Live. I do, I try to do Instagram Live once a week. And it's become very fun. And I do it because it gives me an opportunity to like, I feel like that, you know, if when I do stuff like this and when I do the Epicurious thing, I really need to be a little bit more concise. So I, I, I the Instagram live for me has been really great in terms of like stretching that muscle of talking. Yeah, and I, I've seen some of your Instagram live stories and they're, uh, they're, they're, they're really good. Well, sometimes, sometimes they could like, I, I, Kind of, I don't do them very often because I'm usually really awkward when it's like just me in front of the camera and like text. But, uh, but you, you don't have that part. issue. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is he's like, not I, an awkward guy, Jeff. Well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a, actually, I'm, a, I'm a, actually an awful human being. So that's fine. <laughs> but I, I, that was very nice of you to say that. So my online avatar is working. So basically, I really wanted to be able to stretch. Um, I used to podcast years ago, and I love doing it. and. It was just too much of a time commitment. So the Instagram Live is great for me because I'll try to like schedule it like you know a beginning, middle, and end. Try to make it episodic, and then I've been getting a lot of people want to talk. So I Alex Steele hops on all the time. Mareko Balmasi stops on stops on all the time. I don't do a lot of the two the twofers because most people don't have good Wi-Fi, and that then like I had one day I had. I had Nick Rossi, and then right after Nick Rossi, I had Mareko and Alex Steele, and all of them had shitty Wi-Fi. And it like it, and the, that's what people like because I'm starting to pull my hair out screaming into the into the phone <laughs> because I'm trying to. I have like the three best knife maker guys 
in the world. You know how hard it is to get Nick Rossi to do anything? He's unbelievable. I was pulling my hair out, and everyone liked the fact that I was losing my mind. So <laughs> I, I, we just, you know, every once a week I try to do that. I try not to lose my mind, but it always ends up being. So the answer cool. is, is cool. finger knives for okay. Instagram. Uh, so, also, so, you have shirts for sale. Is that correct? No. Okay. Well, I will. You know what the funny thing is? is I, I, I don't now. The shirt thing is fun, and I'm going to have more shirts. But it's a pain in the ass. So, so we're gonna, when I, we have my website relaunched, we're going to have the option to buy T-shirts, and I'm we're going to do T-shirts again. I, I love shirt. You can set me up with a shirt. I'll send one. I'll send one to you. T-shirts are good. I'm 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 currently. I did hats and T-shirts, but it's like all of a sudden the sales tax is such a production. So yeah, I'm actually getting a new T-shirt design by my the kid who did this. Okay. So we're gonna gonna buy one of those from you. Yeah. When you get them out, when we get them and we put them on the website, I'll I'll have them for you. I'll have them. Okay. All right. So to wrap up the show, Jeff, yeah. do you want to leave us with uh, any words of wisdom uh, on somebody who wants to get into knife making? I'm with uh, you. That's the words of wisdom. You just gotta. <laughs> here's what it comes down to. What it comes down to is you. You can't do the things the way people tell you to do them. You, you kind of have to do it the way you feel is right for you. So if you want to learn how to make a knife, go ahead. Watch some videos and try to take classes and and, and ask questions and. The knife making community is very generous, and a lot of these guys on Instagram are very willing to talk to you and help you and push you in the right direction. And, and you know, you can reach out to me, and I, 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 I rarely ever don't respond to someone. So you just gotta do whatever it takes. I'm right. with you. Cool. cool, and is and with you as well. <laughs> I'm with you. That's it. That's the I best way to end. I have that Avril Lavigne song stuck in my head the rest of the day. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It used to be uh, a little breaking. I used to say I'm with you to stop conversations. Like, all right, I'm I'm on your side. I'm with you, and it worked. So I'm with you is a great way to say, okay, okay, I'm with you. And then it turned into a rallying cry. So now it's very like optimistic. And, I'm with you. But it, in my mind, when you hear me say I'm with you, it means leave me alone. <laughs> all right, James, take us out. Oh, do you want to say I'm sorry for wasting another hour and a half of your time? But uh, <laughs> uh, what do you? If you want to join us live on uh, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern time, uh, you can do so at youtube.com. And I do want to say a huge thank you to uh, Jeff for coming on live. This has been a, a fun one. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. And uh, that's about it for this week. Until next time, have a wonderful I'm life. with you. I'm with you. <laughs> See you guys. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. I hope that was okay. That was great. Okay, good. Thanks again for listening to The Creators Collective. We publish weekly on Thursdays in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can follow us on social media pages everywhere at Creators Collective. We're also live streaming every week on Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Just look up the YouTube channel to join in on the fun of the live chat and get your questions answered live. And until next time, keep on creating.